You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Information is the lifeblood of the social engineer. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to yet another episode of the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast. This is the show where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Later in the show, we're going to be joined by a returning guest, Christopher Hadnagy. He's a social engineering expert. He's got a a new edition of his book out, and he's going to tell us all about that. And we are back. Joe, you want to kick things off for us this week? What do you got? Well, I got a story from a friend of mine, actually. Hmm. This is interesting, I thought. His daughter works in a mall. Okay. And somebody got her phone number to begin communicating with her. Okay. So here's how this works. Wait, wait, welcome communications or unwelcome communications? I think they're welcomed. I don't know. Okay. And I, I would like to talk about it here because I found it a little bit disturbing. And my wife was actually involved in this conversation as well. What happened is she works in a mall and somebody came into the, the shop she works at and says, I need to use your phone to make a phone call. Is this a stranger or someone she, she's an acquaintance so This is someone with? she knows. Okay. Someone that also works in the mall. Okay. So um, someone she's seen around. Correct. All right. So she lets the guy use her phone. Okay. The guy makes a call and then he hands her phone back to her and says, thanks. All right. And walks out. All right. No problem there. Yep. Shortly thereafter, she begins receiving phone calls from him. Oh. Right. So he got her number somehow. Okay. And the girl's father and I are, of course, sitting there going, how did he do that? What did right. he do? Was he rifling through her did, contacts list or? Or did he you know, spend time going through her, you know, going through her phone settings and mm-hmm. looking up her phone number? Right. And my wife comes up with the simplest explanation. <laughs> right. She looks at us and she goes, no, dummies. <laughs> he just called his phone from her phone. Uh, and her phone number comes up on the caller ID and then he adds her to the contact list. Mm. And that's how he did it. I thought that was interesting, and I'm like, well, that that's brilliant. I'm going to have to talk about that on the next Hacking Humans <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. So he's using this excuse that he, he left his phone in the car. Right. Can you help me? I need to make a quick phone call. And this is a way to get perhaps someone he had his eye on. Right. To get her contact information. Exactly. It's a good way of, of asking, can I have your number? Without actually asking, mm. can I have your number? I question if this is a, a good way to build a, a trustful foundation of a new relationship. I also <laughs> question that. <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, I don't know about you and how most women think, but if a guy... I, I don't know how most women think, Joe. I, I, I don't either. It's been a mystery. I've been married for almost 25 years and it remains a mystery. But I will A wonderful you, mystery, by yes. the way. I love you, dear. <laughs> I will tell you how my wife would have reacted to somebody who did this. Yeah. If the, the first time they call her, she would say, how did you get my number? And then she would have put it together, of course, because she figured this out, right? She's, yeah. She's a smart woman. Yeah. She, well, they remember, they're always smarter and one step ahead of us. Always. Definitely. Yeah. I've got to take my wife to DEF CON next year. <laughs> okay. <laughs> take her to the social engineering village. Uh-huh. Because I think she has a great future in that. <laughs> right, right. But you're right. I find this a little bit creepy. If it were me, I'd be blocking that number. You would not be able to get through again. For no other reason than the surreptitious nature in which you acquired my phone number. Mm-hmm. Well, and it also strikes me that the first time that this guy calls her, he's not in her list of contacts, so his name's not going to come up. Right, exactly. Because I don't answer yeah, I don't, any calls. If, if, if they're it not doesn't in my... come up with a name, I don't mm-hmm. answer it. It goes right, right to voicemail. Or... So, 
I do call it and try to annoy who's ever on the other line. Yeah. But we're old, so maybe the young ki- the young kids, <laughs> we are. Maybe old. they they just These answer. Kids today might answer they the see phone. who. Yeah, they're much more adventurous and have more free time and and all that stuff than we do. So, yeah, that's an interesting one. I wonder how would you protect yourself against that? I mean, obviously, don't hand your phone to someone. Yeah, but but this was someone she was familiar with, so she thought she was just helping someone out. Right. Yeah, I don't know how you protect yourself with it. Just say I don't have a phone right now. Right. Yeah. Or say I, I have a prepaid phone and I'm out of minutes. So, <laughs> no. The problem is everybody always has their phones out. So being able to say, how many times do you go into a retail store these days and the people are all standing behind the counter looking at their phones? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know how you protect yourself against this. I mean, this is just a, a creepy thing. I guess the answer is when you get the first phone call, you go, hey, you know what? This really creeps me out. Please don't call right. me again. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Move on, weirdo. <laughs> All right. Well, it's a good one. Uh, my story also comes from a friend of mine. This is a friend of mine. I'm going to call her Debbie because that's her name. Okay. And uh, <laughs> she works in HR for a tech company. And uh, one day she came into work and she got an email from her boss, the CEO of the company. And it said, please let me know if you have time to take care of something for me within the next hour. And so she responded to the email and said, certainly, I'm happy to help with whatever you need, boss. And the response was, I'm going to be meeting with some clients this week. Would you please go out and get me some Google gift cards? Google gift cards. Google gift cards. These Hmm. are gift cards similar to uh, Apple Store gift cards. I guess Google has their own version of this. Yes. So now she was unfamiliar with really what Google gift cards are. So she did a quick, uh, well, Google search. And uh, and sure <laughs> enough. Google goes, hey, we got gift cards right here. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, you don't, you don't need any of those Apple gift cards. Right, no. Buy these. these. Yeah, so, so she actually gets in her car, heads over to the local supermarket, or the Safeway, and buys $1,000 worth of Google gift cards. Wow. Her boss said, I need 10 gift cards $100 each. So she goes and she uses her company credit card, buys $1,000 worth of, of cards, comes back to the office, emails her boss and says, hey, I've got these cards. What would you like me to do? He says, terrific. Can you email me the numbers off the cards? So she starts emailing him the numbers. Now, lucky for her, the numbers on the cards are very, very small. Right. And so... Turns out uh, she misreads some of the numbers, and she gets email back from her boss that says, "Hey, these numbers aren't aren't working quite right. You know, can you just check it and please she send send it to me again?" Uh-huh. So she says, "You know what? This is this is ridiculous. I'm just going to go down the hall and hand these cards to my boss, and then he can right. read them. You know, maybe his eyes are better than mine. Whatever, he, he can do what he, what he wants with them." So she goes down the hall, knocks on her boss's door. He's happy to see her. She says, hey, I got these Google gift cards. And he says, oh, no, that's, I guess that's, that's nice. I could see there being some times when we'd want to use Google gift cards. That was, that was nice of you to, to think of that. Uh, I'll, I'll hang on to them. And she says, wait, you didn't, you didn't want me to go buy Google gift cards? He says, no. Hmm. Uh oh. The jig is up now. The jig is up. Right. <laughs> so turns out, I, I'm sure, you know, our listeners saw this coming a mile away. Sure. It was not her boss who had been sending her these emails. Right. It was someone who had spun up an email address that looked just like her boss's. So they'd done their homework mm-hmm. and uh, she fell for it. 
Now, another interesting component of this is that when she contacted Google to say, hey, can we deactivate these cards? Google said no. Really? Yeah. They said no. So she contacted the grocery store right. where she bought them, and they said, oh, yes, absolutely. We'll, uh, we'll deactivate the cards and refund your money. Really? Yep. So the grocery store hits one out of the park here. Exactly. The grocery store was able to get her money back right away, deactivated the cards. So all's well that ends well. But Google couldn't do anything? I don't know that they couldn't or they wouldn't. It sounds like they wouldn't. Yeah. Come on, Google. You're better than that. (laughs) Yeah. I guess they choose not to be. It could just be a matter of the volume of scamming that they deal with. Yeah. The, The grocery store... The, the, yeah, maybe the grocery store is better it. equipped to handle exactly. Yeah. You took the words right out of my mouth. Yep. So uh, cautionary tale. How could you protect yourself against this? A, a couple of ways, I suppose. I've seen many organizations have emails that automatically get flagged if they come from outside the organization. Yes. Right? It's like those old horror movies. The call right. is coming from inside the house. Right. Yeah. So that would flag the email from the boss. This email came from an external source. Correct. Yep. So that would help. But then also just, you know, before you go out and buy $1,000 worth of stuff or even more, maybe just walk down the hall, knock on the door and say, hey, I'm heading out to buy those gift cards you wanted. You need anything else while I'm out? <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a good idea. I mean, we talk, milk, uh... we talk about this all the time and we yeah. talk about when you're getting hit up by someone you think is your boss to, to move a large amount of money. This would be a good time for a phone call or a visit to the office just to make sure that this is someone you're talking with, yeah. that you're talking with the right person. However, $1,000 might not seem like a lot to a person in a corporation, depending on how big your transactions are on a regular basis. Yeah. Here's the thing. If I'm running an HR organization, mm-hmm. why would the boss task me with going out and getting something? Uh, like this, I um, guess I don't. Who knows? You're willing, right? You're yeah. you're a good, you're right. a helpful employee. You're a you're, you're a you're, good soldier. You're, you're available, yeah. and you, you've done stuff like this in the past. Well, and you're, and you're trusted. You're trusted with the money, right? And you're trusted with with the money, right? Yeah, you they so you, you have, have a corporate credit card. There's yep. one thing, right? Exactly, exactly. So yeah, an interesting story about uh, someone being targeted there. Uh, these bad guys didn't have to do a lot of homework. Nope, but they did their homework. And we're very close to getting what they wanted. So buyer beware there. All right, Joe, it's time to move on to our catch of the day. Our catch of the day this week was sent in by a listener. We love when our listeners send in our catches of the day. This is from someone named Gareth. 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 And Gareth sends us in. He says, catch of the day. This is just ridiculous. Maybe (laughs) some kind of machine learning generated this. Kind regards, Gareth. And the subject is Julie.Parker Welsh. We are upset, but your application 9948 not agreed on. Greetings, Julie.Parker Welsh. You can earn from $726 per day. We are upset, but your appeal not confirmed. From this project, you in no case similar letters do not get. From this portal, you will see specifically joyful messages. For example, such as finance prepared by for translation. It is your notification will arrive already today. So, every day. Allison Lewin is your personal manager. 
Joe, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> what? <laughs> this is a, a, there's a link here. So you could click through on the link and the, the link, it's a typical. Is this typical. a drunk email? Was somebody hammered when they wrote this? Right. I don't think so. <laughs> no, I think this is just somebody who is not a native English speaker who has a tenuous at best grasp on the language writing something in an attempt to scam somebody. Yeah, I, go, I don't know. It went through some sort of translation layer, obviously. Oh, it, it seems could be, like. Yes. But how does this work? How? I mean, this is so bad. Right. How could this pot? Do, do they just get enough people who are just curious enough to click the link because they're amused or bored or how? it could be <sighs> or maybe this one didn't work at all maybe people looked at this and said i have no idea what this means mm-hmm. you know uh, i hope so <laughs> it's just yeah, awful what i hope is that nobody responded to it and said something like i don't understand this because then you're starting to interact with these yeah. these people yeah just delete it yeah, well, maybe they. Uh, the, this is how the bad guys figure out what works and what doesn't. This goes right. in the doesn't work pile, but, <laughs> right. uh, but it made it through. So uh, it's interesting. I'm amazed this made it through the spam filter. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe perhaps Gareth was. Uh, you know, maybe it's his job to to sort through these things. I don't know, but we appreciate him sending it in to us. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, one of the stranger ones we've received. So as always, if you have something interesting for Catch of the Day, please uh, do send it to us. You can find out how to do that by going to thecyberwire.com and looking at our contact page. Uh, we'd love to hear what you got. Keep coming. And that is our Catch of the Day. Coming up next, we've got Christopher Hadnagy. He's going to be telling us about the new edition of his book. It is called The Science of Human Hacking. We are back, Joe. We have our first returning guest on the Hacking Humans podcast. All right. Christopher Hadnagy is back. He, of course, is a well-known expert when it comes to social engineering, runs a lot of uh, at trade shows, uh, conferences, and so forth, uh, runs the social engineering, capture the flag types of things. And he has a new edition of his book. His previous book was titled The Art of Human Hacking, and he has updated it, and it is called The Science of Human Hacking. Uh-huh. So here's my discussion with Christopher Hadnagy. When I wrote my first book, it was very much like art. I was doing these things and they were working and I was amazed and everyone that tried them was amazed. And it was kind of, I don't, I don't want to discredit it, but it was kind of like street magic. You know, you do these things and wow, people just fall for it. And it was great. Now jump forward a decade and it became where we have this training class I've been teaching for eight years. I have 12 employees and I've had to duplicate the process that was just me a decade ago. And what I learned from having to train other folks is that you have to have a repeatable process. And that repeatable process is where science comes in. As if I can explain to you, don't, you know, not just tilt your head and smile and people will, will build rapport with you. I need to explain to you scientifically why does that work. And if you understand the mechanisms behind it, then you can duplicate it and it becomes a repeatable process. So the update really was trying to understand how all these things work from a scientific level and then being able to duplicate them. So can you give us a sampling of what types of things we'll find in the book? What are some of the scientific conclusions? Let's just take one, for example, one or two. So uh, in my first edition of the book, I talked a lot about how to get people to like you. There's a couple tongue twisters. People like people that are like them and people like people that like them, right? So these two Mm. things, if you think about them, they're very true. Well, there's a a researcher named um, Dr. Paul Zak who did research into a molecule called oxytocin. And it's something that a scientist ignored for many, many years. They didn't realize what it was or what it did. And and Dr. Zak and some of his fellow researchers figured out that this is the molecule that gets released in our brains when we feel trust, 
when we feel that someone trusts us, when we feel we're poor with people, he helped us to realize how to get people to trust us, how to release that chemical. So from a scientific level, sure, I can tell you the the tongue twisters, you know, people like people that like them. And that means you should like people. But here from a scientific level, if I tell you that non-sexual touch, that the right non-verbals, that showing interest in other people, that trusting someone, uh, making them believe that they're being trusted with a secret, all will release oxytocin. Oxytocin will automatically build rapport and trust. You're the dealer and now you have the friendship with, with the person that you're building that trust with. So you take something that before was very artistic and now you break it down to a 10-step repeatable scientific process. Hmm. I guess what, what I perceive is being that some people simply have a knack for these sorts of things. It, it's kind of like stand-up comedy. You know, there are some people who just seem to be naturally funny. Uh, I can teach someone how to tell a joke, but if someone has that knack, uh, just to, the way they are, the way they were raised, whatever, boy, they have a, a real head start. I would agree with that 100%. There are definitely people who will be able to become a professional social engineer much easier than others because of their natural inclinations, their personality. They, you know, they, they just have that natural smile. They are not afraid to talk to strangers. They're not afraid to put themselves in awkward situations. All of those things will definitely excel that person at this field. But that doesn't mean that someone who doesn't have those things can't learn it. The aspect of the new book was to say, hey, I get it. Yep, there are going to be those those folks who just turn the switch on and they are these magical individuals that can talk to anyone. But you can also learn these things by understanding how they work. Uh, I'll use an analogy. It's like learning how to repair a car. Now, the first time you open the hood and you look at the car, you're like, what the heck is all these wires and all these pieces? If you actually went to an automotive course, you learned how an engine works. You learned what those wires meant, what a carburetor is, what the spark plugs are. You learn what all those things are. Now, when you open the hood and you, you look at the engine, it's not so scary. You say, oh, yeah, I get it. I know what that does. I know where that is. And the more practice, you can become a master. It's the same with this. We open the hood of a human and we're like, I don't understand why these things work. You get to that scientific level and you begin to not only understand it, but it starts to make a lot of sense. That's an interesting insight. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about DEF CON uh, this most recent year. You're very active, one of the starters of the Social Engineering Capture the Flag competition. Can you sort of uh, set the table for us, describe what goes on there and what was this year's competition like? Sure. So we developed the SECTF, as we call it, or as you said, the Social Engineering Capture the Flag, to be a contest that shows why and how social engineering is so dangerous and how effective it is year after year after year. And the way we designed it was to set contestants up to call target companies and to obtain flags. And a flag is a tidbit of information, something like who handles your dumpster removal or what operating system is the computer that you're on or um, what janitorial service do you have? Questions that by themselves, they're not going to lead you to passwords, right? You're not going to hack the company with that information. So they're not damaging, but they don't make sense to really tell someone over the phone just without a real good pretext. Our competition was designed to show how a complete novice, a lot of people who, who sign up, don't have experience in this, but that someone who doesn't could get on the phone and talk to complete strangers and get unbelievable amounts of information from a complete stranger just by asking. How does it work? You put someone uh, in an isolated booth so that they can have an audience? 
<laughs> yeah, so this year we upgraded the booth. So since we started, we always had a, a booth. We used this pieces of plexiglass with a foam top. Mm. And uh, this year we went all out. We figured it's our ninth year. We should upgrade a little bit. That booth was getting old and a little bit rickety. So we decided to upgrade to an actual professional voice recorder sound booth, one that like a rock star would use to record. So it's got this giant glass window in the front and you step inside and it's completely soundproof with the foam on there and you have LED lights and the person is sitting isolated in this booth while everyone gets to watch. And just because the room was so big this year, we uh, we even went as far as putting a GoPro inside on the window <laughs> so people on the sides have a clear view of the stress and anxiety on the contestant as they're sitting in that booth. So the folks who win the Capture the Flag competition, what are some of the common traits that they have? What are they able to do that uh, regular people can't? So the last couple of years, people that have won, so not this year, Whitney, Whitney won this year and she does have experience in this, but previous to this year, people who won were not experienced at social engineering hmm. and yet they get in the booth and they all have this common trait and Whitney has it too. It's uh, primarily first thinking on your feet. So having the ability to, because uh, things don't go as planned, right? You get on the phone and somebody throws you a monkey wrench, or uh, they don't. They don't have what you thought they would have in front of them, so you have to work around it. Or they say something that you never thought somebody would say. Having the ability to think on your feet, to adjust and adapt quickly, those are the people that generally excel at this kind of a, of a career or competition. And then secondly, not having the fear to try things, right? So sometimes people. They, they psych themselves out. They say, I would never answer a question on the phone about my computer. Why well, am not even going to ask that? And people who go in with it with the attitude, I'm just going to try, see what happens, generally walk in with that confidence and they're able to get people to tell them almost everything. Now, on the flip side, what about the folks who don't do so well? Where, where do they come up short? Yeah, so the, the folks that don't do so well, there's there's two common themes for those who don't do well. First is the, the beginning part of the competition is we give the contestant their target company and for three weeks they get to do OSINT. That stands for open source intelligence. So they get to do OSINT on their targets to try to find what flags those information tidbits are found online. Those who don't do well generally are the contestants that did not spend time, energy or effort enough of that in the OSINT piece. So they get into the booth and they're not really prepared. Information is the lifeblood of the social engineer. So if you get into that booth with a little bit of info, you're not going to be adaptable or flexible. And then secondly, the, the quality that I see most often for people who don't do well is when they let the fear get the best of them. Now, everyone's afraid. I mean, I've been doing vishing now professionally for 10 years and I still get nervous when I get on a call. It just happens. It, it is just the way it is. But you're getting in front of on a vision call in front of 500 people, 600 people, whatever. You're, you're doing this in front of a lot of people. You can use that fear to motivate you or you can use it to completely psych yourself out. And those who use it as a motivator, they tend to do a lot better. Now, Chris, I, I know something that is important to you is that people use these tools responsibly and, and to the point where you all have put together a code of ethics. Yeah, that we have. Thank you for asking. So for, for us, like you said, one of the most important things, our mantra in our in our training classes and in our companies, leave them feeling better for having met you. And that's a really important aspect of being a social engineer because you have to think like a bad guy all day. But we need to remember at the end of the day, I'm not the bad guy. 
I'm a good guy and my job is to help my clients. My job is to help the companies that pay me, help them learn how to defend against these type of attacks. And I can't do that by always being malicious. So we, we just issued a, a code of ethics. It's like a, a, like a code of conduct uh, for so professional social engineers. And it's, uh, it, it outlines the ethical way to approach this industry uh, being a, a person who's hired to hack other people, but how can you do that ethically? Uh, it's on the social-engineer.org site under the framework, and it's the first top heading. And uh, I'm really excited about how it's – we just released it, so this is kind of brand new even talking to you about it. And it's been adapted by a bunch of pen test companies and even a large organization now over in Europe has adapted our code of ethics to become – part of their internal policy. So I'm really excited to see how it's been accepted. And um, I'm sure there'll be a lot more coming up about that too. All right, great. Uh, Well, again, Chris, thanks for taking the time for us. I appreciate it. Happy to help us spread the word about your efforts. Nice to have Christopher back. Yes, our first returning guest. That's great. Yeah. I'm about halfway through this new book of his. Okay. And it's really good. It's a page turner. I mean, it's one that gets you in, and it, which is kind of unusual for this kind of book. But mm. it's, I, I find it absolutely fascinating. I, I would recommend you pick it up and read it. I think it's important that he points out that a natural talent helps. As I was talking about earlier in this episode, my wife, I believe, has this natural talent mm. that she can think on her feet and, and, yeah. and get through things. And Mine I, does, I, too. My, my, my wife can, can talk her way into anywhere. Yeah. She's talked us into Disney World. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. I know. <laughs> I just sit. I stand back. She's like, I got this. And she goes up and talks to the customer service person. I stand back. And the next thing you know, we're in Disney World. We're riding Space Mountain. Amazing. Yeah. My (laughs) wife has done similar things. (laughs) I think I need to send her to one of Chris's classes. Okay. I really like the car analogy. I say this a lot about just basic computer science and, and stuff like that. And one of the things people always say is you don't need to know how a car works to use a car. Right. My comeback to that is if you know how a car works, it makes you a much better driver. Hmm. Right. Okay. I think the same is true with social engineering. The same is true with just about anything. You know, if you get into it, it makes you better at it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, thinking on your feet is paramount, he said. But really, one of the things everybody should realize is that the OSIG, the Open Source Intelligence Gathering, is the lifeblood of social engineering. It's how these social engineers acquire the information so that they can seem like they're a knowledgeable person when they make that first contact with you. Do their homework ahead of time. And he says at DEF CON, they get three weeks to do their homework. Yeah. So I think that's plenty of time. So they're going in there well rehearsed. Right. You, you would hope. Yeah, I was trying to penetrate a bureaucracy earlier this week and just using Google was able to get a hold of somebody that was able to give me some information. Now, I wasn't trying to get any information I shouldn't have access to. I was actually trying to find information from somebody in the government and, and where I needed to go. And mm-hmm. I actually found somebody. It's very difficult to get a hold of people. <laughs> But, no, no kidding. <laughs> but I, I managed to get a hold of somebody yeah. just by using this OSIG. Okay. And the guy helped me out. It was great. I'm also very happy to hear that Chris is developing a code of ethics. That is something I think was missing. And it's very important that we have that, I believe. I also liked the point he made about leaving people feeling as though they had a good interaction with you. Right. Because I think so much of the social engineering work, the professional pen testers can inadvertently leave people feeling kind of dumb. Yeah, exactly. I fell for this. And, you know, so I think if you can go in and use them as teaching moments. Right. I don't know how Chris does these things after he has an engagement, but I'm sure the very first thing he tells them, or if I were doing this, the very first thing I would say is just because this happened, you are not stupid. Right. You're not dumb. 
Yeah. Okay. You fell for this. And here's why you fell for this. Because like he says, oxytocin, I believe is the name of the mm-hmm. chemical he talks about. <laughs> right. you know, not I, oxycotton. Not yeah. oxycotton. Not <laughs> or oxycodone. <laughs> yeah. Oxytocin. Okay. Right. Which I don't know. Maybe it's similar. Who knows? I, I'm not a chemist. I'm yeah. not a biochemist. But that there's reasons that you've actually got essentially wiring in your head that makes you vulnerable to this stuff mm-hmm. because of who you are and because of, of how we're evolved to be. Yeah. Well, again, thanks to Christopher Hadnagy for joining us. The new book is The Science of Human Hacking. We hope you will check it out. Thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more about them at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technology. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Iben. Our editor is John Petrick. Technical editor is Chris Russell. Executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. 